Okay, let's go to Luke chapter 1. We're still looking at several of the women of the Bible, and tonight in Luke chapter 1, we're going to look at Elizabeth. Elizabeth is a significant character within the scripture. We know her by the largest single fact that she is the mother of John the Baptist, but how the Bible characterizes her and describes her is, uh, is truly unique. So we're going to begin in Luke chapter 1, and I'll begin reading with, with verse 5. There was in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias, and of the course of Abiah, and his wife was of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord, blameless. And they had no child because that Elizabeth was barren, and they both were now well stricken in years. And it came to pass that while he executed the priest's office before God in the order of his course, according to the custom of the priest's office, his lot was to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord, and the whole multitude of the people were praying without at the time of incense. And there appeared unto him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zacharias saw him, he was troubled and fear fell upon him. And the angel said unto him, Fear not, Zacharias, for thy prayer is heard, and thy wife Elizabeth shall bear thee a son, and thou shalt call his name John. There's some unusual things. Again, this says it very clearly that this occurred during the days of Herod, the king of Judea. Zacharias was a priest, and as it came up, it was his opportunity, his time, to go into the Holy of Holies and burn the incense. It was, that happened on a rotating basis, and this, it came up as his time. His wife, Elizabeth, her name means the oath of God or the daughter of the covenant. And truly, Elizabeth lived up to that name. She was honorable in all things. Probably the most significant thing that we learn early in this story is, is when it says in verse 6, and they were both righteous before God. It says that they walked in all the commandments and all the ordinances and of the Lord blameless. How odd a description that is. It almost seems to us that that would be impossible. How amazing it would be to be described in those terms especially as a couple, because though we might from time to time see someone who walks that way, carries themselves that way, lives that way, blameless before the Lord, I want to tell you it is truly, truly rare to find a couple that does that, where both the husband and the wife are yoked together in such a way that they are both so equally committed, that they will follow God, that they will be obedient, and that their faith toward God is The most important thing, as a matter of fact, when you begin to think about that question, how many righteous couples do you know? I want to tell you the list is even hard to start and very short in its context. How many couples do you know that would say, that that would be described, that you could take out the name of Zacharias and Elizabeth and put a couple's name in and have them be described that they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord, blameless. I want to tell you, they were truly a unique couple. Elizabeth was truly, truly a unique woman. 
They were of one mind. They were of one heart. They both desired obedience without question, yet they were not without trials. This would be much easier, I guess, to accept, much easier to understand if they didn't have such a significant problem. They had put a question before the Lord, and preached on this before, and I think this is truly remarkable, that it says, when the angel began to speak to Zacharias, he says, your prayer has been heard. If they were now approaching 80 or 90 or 100 years old, and please don't adjust that very much based on the timing of the Old Testament and how long people lived. This was an old couple. It says here that they were older and stricken in years. We know the context. How strange it must have sounded when the words came to them that they were going to have a child. How strange it must have sounded to Zacharias when he, when he heard your prayer had been answered. Because when do you think it, the last time they prayed that prayer had been? 50 years, probably. At a minimum, 50 years since they had prayed that prayer. About 50 years or so, even 40 years, even 30 years would be remarkable. The last time they prayed that prayer, and for the angel to come to Zacharias and say, your prayer has been heard. Your prayer has come up before the Lord. Again, how significant that statement is. Because how many things have we prayed a long time ago that we've taken off the table? How many things that we've prayed about that we have given up on how fresh that prayer is in God's ears. We have discounted it because of the time passing. The reality is it doesn't fade in the ears of God. We get anxious. We get pressed. But the promises of God, the reality and the assurance of God, don't diminish over time. So I will tell you, whatever you've prayed, don't take it off the table. It's as fresh in God's ears right now as when you first spoke it. So they had this great trial. It says here that they had no child because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both now well stricken in years and significantly older. So it was no small trial. It was also compounded by the difficulties within the Jewish religion at the time, many compromises, not much hope in what Zacharias was doing. He didn't go into the Holy of Holies. I can assure you with any confidence that this was going to happen. He had probably had no expectation of anything of this nature. As a matter of fact, we're pretty sure that he doesn't because when it happened, he struck dumb because he doesn't believe it. His faith isn't there, even when the, when the angel spoke it. But he comes and he tells her, based on what he heard, he comes and, and, and tells her through sign language and through what he could write because now when he returns home, he can't speak. He made known to her that he had had a vision in the temple. Again, please, if you can, grasp this reality. The vision in that moment of that which was in front of him, of that which he had no proof except the fact that he couldn't speak, the future that God had now spoken was absolutely more real to him, truer to him, actual to him, than his circumstance where he was standing. That's what visions do. That's what revelation is designed to do. That's what prophecy is designed to do. It's to make the future that God has established in front of us become more real than our current circumstance. We have to have more faith and confidence and understanding 
of what God has placed in front of us because most of us are so entangled in our current situation, what God has placed in front of us is almost unbelievable. We see a little bit of that in Zacharias. What was his current situation? Older, stricken in years. Prayed the prayer a long time ago. Probably had no hope that that prayer now would ever be fulfilled. But he goes home. And the fact that he went and told it says there was some faith in it now, some belief in it now, because he announced it to his wife in writing in the best way he could that in the temple he had had a vision. And how their prayers for a son had come up before the Lord and how that prayer had been heard. So he communicates these details. How that his son would be a Nazarite and should be filled with the Holy Ghost even from his mother's womb. I love that part of the story as well. The significance, what made John the Baptist, the barbarian, stand out. What made him unique was not just the fact that he dressed different. Not that he came with a bold message. The most significant thing that anybody could point to about John the Baptist was not what he looked like or what he ate or what his message was. The most significant thing that anybody could announce about John the Baptist was that the Holy Spirit entered him before he was born. That's the most interesting fact. That's the most unique detail of John the Baptist because that is what made everything else happen. The indwelling spirit is what allowed him to be that difference, to be that barbarian, to speak a truth that no one had ever heard, to be the forerunner of Jesus Christ, and to be able to say that the kingdom of heaven is now at hand, and to begin to make that announcement. That was only possible because the Holy Spirit entered him while he was still inside his mom. Don't minimize that a second. That's what made him unique. That's what made him different. That's what allowed him to be the man that he was, to speak what he spoke, and to live as he lived, was because of that fact. That he should be an evangelist with power, and that many of the children of Israel would turn in faith to God because of him. That he would go before Jesus in spirit under the power of Elijah, to turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, and to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. That was the announcement. That's what would happen. How strange it must have been for Elizabeth now to receive that, especially when John couldn't speak it. He couldn't express fully because he had no voice to be able to tell her what had just happened. But he made known to this wondering wife, tis being dumb, was a sign from God that this was going to be fulfilled. That's the only evidence that he had of this promise, that he couldn't speak. So what happened for her? She just got introduced into something brand new. What did she just hear that had to take her aback? Here's this older woman, Elizabeth, who's told by her husband, you're fixing to be the mom you desired to be. I wonder what kind of shift occurred in her in that moment. What changed in her in that moment? Everything. But you know, it makes me wonder, because the Bible doesn't record, as it did with Zacharias, it doesn't record whether she immediately believed it. It doesn't record how she 
really handled this kind of news. We kind of get that part of the story left out. Partly because what's important in the story is not just what she did afterward. What we need to know about Elizabeth. Why would God choose her? Just as we know why he chose Mary. He knew that Mary was pure before him. He chose Mary to be the mother of Jesus based on reasons that you and I can certainly describe. He chose her because she was highly favored. He chose her because she had remained pure, because she had been obedient, because she had loved the Lord, because she had been the woman she was supposed to be. Well, I want to tell you, don't minimize for a second that Elizabeth was the same kind of woman. Some of this is from the scripture. Some of this is probably from my imagination. When I ponder Elizabeth and and have a desire to teach her, this is what I get. Not only a woman that is faithful and strong, but I, I, I picture a woman that is faithful in her routine before the Lord. That she has been faithful not only in the big things of her life, but she's been faithful in all the little things of her life. And boy, what a difference. Because we do find people who are faithful in large things. But to find people who are faithful every day in all the small things, that's a unique person. I picture in Elizabeth a quiet countenance. I find that strange balanced against the cry that had formed in her heart so long ago that she might have a child. And how she had put herself second before God. How she had lived in that position before God. Day after day, month after month, and year after year. Even though the one thing she wanted the most had never come. What happens to us when what we desire the most doesn't come? Most of us throw up our hands. Most of us pretty quickly discount it. Most of us pretty quickly just give up. Simply because what we asked for with urgency didn't come in the time that we wanted it. But how strange and unexpected this break must have been. Because she had received light in the middle of darkness. Her appeal before God had been heard and now he had made her a promise. And again, scripture is very silent what her reaction was. Go with me now to to verse 39 of the same chapter. Still Luke chapter 1. And the story continues. And Mary arose in those days, chapter 1, verse 39. And Mary arose in those days and went into the hill country with haste into a city of Judah and entered into the house of Zacharias and saluted Elizabeth. And it came to pass that when Elizabeth heard the the, the salutation of Mary, the babe, John the Baptist, leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Ghost. And she spake out with a loud voice and said, Blessed art thou among women. And blessed is the fruit of thy womb. And whence is this to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For lo, as soon as the voice of thy salutation sounded in my ears, the babe leaped in my womb for joy. And blessed is she that believed. For there shall be a performance of those things which were told her from the Lord. Again, what's now the characteristic that makes Elizabeth unique? 
What happened to her when she heard the salutation of Mary? She was filled with the Holy Spirit. I don't know how we read past that reality because the uniqueness now, the one characteristic that makes her stand out from other grateful mothers, from other mothers who were blessed later in their life with a child, the uniqueness that's pointed out in the scripture was that with the coming of Mary, that Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Why? What does it matter? Would you have liked to raise John the Baptist without the Holy Spirit? Whoa. I look at Jay, and there's not a single thing about our son that disappoints me. Nothing. Couldn't ask for anything better. Could never ask for a son that would be any more than what Jay could be. He has been good. He has been kind. You know, he had to discover God for himself, which parents have got to let our kids show them the grace to let them, but he did that. The expression of his life, there's no disappointment. And I tell you, raising him as good as he is, I still wouldn't want him to have done it without the Holy Spirit. I can't really imagine what happened when when Elizabeth and Zacharias began to watch John the Baptist grow and what maybe they wanted him to do, the clothes they might have wanted him to wear, the message that they, the things they might have wanted him to speak. All of a sudden in, in John the Baptist, this young man, there, there arose someone that was so absolutely different, so absolutely unique, that the only way that Mary, I mean Elizabeth could have even processed raising that child And the uniqueness of God's plan was for her to also be filled with the Holy Spirit. What would have happened otherwise? She would have done what most parents do and been determined to change their son into something they wanted rather than something that God had blessed. It would have been her way, her will, instead of God's at this moment not occurred. So Mary had held no communication with Elizabeth before. There was no mail in that day, so a letter could have been passed. But the Spirit of God in one woman recognized the Spirit of God in another. Mary and Elizabeth recognizing the Spirit of God that was common. That still is designed to be who we are today. What the communion of, of the Spirit between those two women was and what the intense nearness to God was, in the impossibility of explaining this position to anyone, is too hard for us really to imagine. Unworthy in themselves, but wondrously privileged by God, they were the women that God chose to bring this unique message. I wonder what it was like for Elizabeth and for Zacharias when John the Baptist, living in the wilderness, dressing as he dressed, began to preach, began to share and to live as the barbarian that he truly was. Let me read this last portion, and we'll, and, and we'll end with this. Go with me to uh, verse 56. And Mary abode with her about three months and returned to her own house. Now Elizabeth's full time came, that she should be delivered, and she brought forth a son. And her neighbors and her cousins heard how the Lord had showed great mercy upon her, and they rejoiced with her came to pass that on the eighth day they came to circumcise the child. 
And they called him Zacharias after the name of his father. And his mother answered and says, Not so, but he shall be called John. And they said unto her, There is none of thy kindred that is called by this name. And they made signs to his father how he would have him called. And he asked for a writing table, and he wrote, saying, His name is John. And they marveled, all of them. Simple question. How did she know his name was John? It's clearly distinct here that Zacharias and Elizabeth were in agreement on this name. How had she arrived at this name? They marveled because Zacharias said the same thing that Elizabeth had said. They wouldn't have marveled at all had they passed that information back and forth to one another. How did Elizabeth know what Zacharias heard in the temple? She was filled with the Holy Spirit. So what's her story? She lived faithful for the Lord in big things and small things. The discouragement of not having a child didn't change her faithfulness. I guess I even like to believe that what we shared this morning about the excellence of commitment, the excellence of faith, the excellence of a life walked out before the Lord, the excellence of worship that Elizabeth demonstrated that day by day. Not in the face of good news, but in the face of this great difficulty and this great trial. Excellence before the Lord. And just like Mary, God saw the excellence of Elizabeth and chose her, chose Zacharias to be the father of this great forerunner, of this one called John, who would go before Jesus establishing that the kingdom of heaven had truly come. Truly remarkable woman, along with so many others that we've studied. The question then remains, not only for the women, but also for the men. Do we live this way before the Lord? Sometimes, and this is just my personal testimony, I wish that I could live more quiet before the Lord. I get anxious. I want to press. And the Lord has ways of correcting me. The Lord has ways of instructing me. But I truly wish that I had that nature and that character that I'm describing here. That I could live quietly before the Lord. My mind and my heart work constantly. I put questions before the Lord. Some that I should ask, many that I shouldn't. But I have a hard time finding a quiet place in my spirit. So that I can live quietly before the Lord. I hope you're better at it than I am because I think it's a characteristic or a quality that establishes for us what it established for Mary, that God knows when we, when we can be quiet before him, then we can hear when he whispers and obey when he speaks. Quietness is required.